Hello out there, this is Illiterate, my name is Evan. My name is Taylor, I read a book this week. I watched a movie, this week we are covering Nomad Land. It just won at the 78th Golden Globe Awards Best Motion Picture for Drama and Best Director by Chloe Zhao. She's only the second woman to do this and the first Asian to do so ever. Pretty incredible. Uh, Nomadland is uh, it, it's a portrait piece. It is a character study of a woman who leaves home and travels the American West. Uh, stars and is produced by Frances McDormand. Portraying the collapse of a zip code. And the wake of that trauma uh, as people are forced to leave their homes uh, after they no longer can make a living for themselves. It's pretty gut-wrenching stuff. Um, it's on Hulu right now. And it's, it's done in such a way that it is hard to understand what is truth and fiction here. So it's pretty affecting stuff. It's pretty heavy with its tone, and it never lets up, and nor should it. And what holds the whole film together are these beautiful character portrait pieces of these people who have taken and lost and, and all their stories that you meet along the way and, and the mosaic of people that live this lifestyle and all the reasons for every reason. There is no one. They're this, they're that. It's, it's bizarre. So I'm, I'm really excited to delve into what, what is truth and what is fiction here, <laughs> right. Taylor. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's, it's being without a home, but not being homeless. And it's interesting, at least for this nomad land situation, where it, it isn't the hashtag van life scenario where people are spending $30,000 to deck out their converted Sprinter van. This is yeah, this mostly is... elderly people that have lost their pension and their retirement and their homes in the Great Recession, lost work, have nothing, and they're over the age of 55 or 65 or what have you. And through choice or force or whatever it might be, decide I'm going to downsize, live out of a van or my SUV or an RV, but not in the tra-la-la. I've lived a great life. No, I've made so their much culture money. eroded around them. Their society eroded around them. Their goals and dreams evaporated. Mm -hmm. uh, this is seemingly one of the only options they have left. Yeah. Um, this is when it comes down to basic necessity and what you have at your fingertips to get by to the next minute. And this is minute to minute down to survival. When you really look at, at, at what, how they live, mm -hmm. it really is. It's a whole different set. Of, yeah. of instincts that come into play. And some of the stats for American and non-American audience, the in terms of the housing crisis, the, the Great Recession of 2008, et cetera, one in six American households put more than half of what they make into their housing or shelter for the year, which the age-old percentage is supposed to be 30%, hmm. 30, 30, you know, housing, huh. food, et cetera. But they're as of the writing of this book, there are only 12 counties and one metro area where if you worked a full-time minimum wage job, you could afford a one-bedroom apartment using that metric of, oh, I spent 30% on housing. 12 counties. Yeah. Uh, in the whole country where the that's, country. <laughs> where that's <laughs> equitable. So like I said, if this is this is specific. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. This is mostly talking about the elderly as it applies to that. And then some of the van life stuff is because there's almost like young people are anticipating it's a cool casual choice if you can get sponsored by some company to do it or you're working from Starbucks. But it's like for this particular subset of the population, it is a hidden generational thing almost. But 
to answer your question, what is real, what is not, how did this get done? The book is nonfiction, written by Jessica Bruder, who's a journalist. She writes about various subcultures. She had written a book about Burning Man, things of that nature. And she teaches writing at Columbia, and she writes for, you know, New York Times, Wired, Harper's Magazine. This gotcha. particular project started out, it was a cover story for Harper's called The End of Retirement. It came out in 2014, and it was about older Americans who are working these temporary jobs with places such as Amazon because they don't have retirement, the fallout of the, of the Great Recession, and living permanently in their RVs. On this like seasonal that. almost basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the, the, uh, that made me think about retirement. And so again, for America, the Social Security Act of 1935 went along with the Great Depression. And that required, if you're going to be a future retiree, you chip in throughout your working lives and the government gives you a certain pension. And it was supposed to be this three-legged stool, as they said, of Social Security, mm -hmm. private pension from the company that you worked for, and whatever you had personally invested or kept in savings. And basically, two of the three legs went away because if you were in a recession, all your assets get destroyed. You had to save less and less. And then if your employer was negligent with the 401k, it also got drained depending on what the stock market is doing. So oh, Lord. yeah, this is where you could, that kind of the end of retirement. It's like, oh, I'm never going to retire. I'm just oh going to have God. to keep working. What is the only yeah. place that's going to hire a 65-year-old worker? Oh, I'm going to be the tender of a campground, or I'm going to be a cashier at this seasonal place as I travel around, or I'm going to work at Amazon during their peak season yeah. hours. So this is this subculture and area and facet of life that Jessica is interested in. And there's actually a short film that she produced and made with this as well with some of the people that she was interviewing. Oh, really? And it's called Camper Force. I found it online. You can you can watch it for free. But it's, it's like I said, specifically about this one couple and going through Amazon because they have this program called Camper Force where they recruit RVers as seasonal labor. Interesting. And just another stat from the doc as it relates to the elderly, nearly one in five Americans older than 65 is working, which wow. is double the rate from 1986. <laughs> and then- Wow. That's faster than I would have even imagined. I was yeah. expecting you to say 1966 or 1956, <laughs> right. I swear yeah. to God. Yeah. Um, 86. Wow. It happened that quick. Yeah. <laughs> And a, a third of households headed by people 55 plus have no pension and no retirement saved. Oh my God. So this is, like you said, heavy, depressing kind of stuff yeah. at, the, at the outset of this, but that's what this material is covering. So she starts writing this book, a larger piece based on this article, and hence is the book Nomadland. And she went along with these folks because she came out and saw, you know, and did 50 different interviews and whatnot. But she was like, I have to, I can't meet these people where they are without actually living it. Yeah. So Jessica spent months living in a camper van over the course oh, of yes. over the course of three years, fifteen thousand miles of driving from coast to wow. coast, Canada to Mexico, wow. documenting Americans who hit the road full time because yeah. of this. And she recommended in an interview I saw this a parody video of, like I said, the hashtag van life, where it's like, oh, this is, you know, you pretend you're sort of a hippie, but you actually have no idea, like you said, the day-to-day -day minutia of how to survive. Yes. So that all happens. That's a book well regarded in 2017. Here's where the film aspect of it comes in. And then I promise we'll get to what's true. What's <laughs> not here. So for the film, Francis McDormand 
read the book, contacted her friend, Peter Spears, who also produced Call Me By Your Name. Oh, yeah. If yes. you're familiar with that, also based on a book. And Frances McDormand had seen the writer at TIFF in 2017 because she was there for maybe three billboards or maybe something else. I think else. three billboards, yeah. Yeah. So she saw the writer, which was the previous film that Chloe Zhao had done, and said, oh, this is great. This is this. Is this. <laughs> like, she can do this. This is a, a intimate portrait with nature wow. and the West and you know all kinds yeah. of things. So Chloe Zhao agreed. And then she said, okay, I'll write and direct it. And this kind of stemmed from Frances McDormand was saying to her husband that when she was 45, she said, oh, at age 65, I'd love to change my name to Fern and she said, quote, start smoking Lucky Strikes, drinking wild turkey, and hit the road in my RV. Oh, man. It was always kind of a, an imaginary fascination of hers to become somebody like this, not realizing, I don't think, the trauma or the, the ways that you use it to deal with grief or loss or what a lot of these folks are actually going through with it. So with Chloe Zhao as the director, this is the third film that she's made. And she says she hailed from the Terrence Malick School of Filmmaking. Mm-hmm. If if anybody that knows film is mm-hmm. is aware of that very impressionistic ethereal ethereal uh, leaning into the into the wind if yeah. you will so for the the production process of this they basically did it the same way as Jessica did it researching the book they they the filming took five months through seven U S states Francis McDormand Zhao there was a there was a film crew of only twenty five people they all lived out of vans over the course of production. Very cool. Francis McDormand and David Strathern are the only professional actors, you know, the big players. This is what I was most interested in. Yeah. Because it's comprised of these portraits of people who I know are not actors. So I I assume that the series the stories I'm hearing are their stories. So then at what point is in the script is in the book? You see what I mean? Yes. The script is fictional. Most of it is improvised as it relates to the people telling their stories. As mm-hmm. people are involved with Francis to, to kind of move her plot along. But Chloe Zhao realized the book is, is a lot of vignettes of people and what Jessica yes. experienced. But you need somebody to anchor the story going through the same problems or experiencing it for the first time as the audience would. So you take Frances McDormand's Fern character and you walk her through this narrative mm-hmm. uh, and with real with real people. It's yeah. really amazing. And I was sensing this as we're going along. I was just not sure to what extent. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's almost all of it. It's one for um, one. Yeah, basically almost the entire cast, like I said, was real people. It, even using the same names, it's incredible. as if they're, this is just them in real life. And there's this pseudo fictional character named Fern that happens to be also on the same path. And that's who the camera is following. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. It's teeming with life. I mean, it's absolutely mm-hmm. alive. It's it's real. It's truth. It's documentary. It's narrative all at once. <laughs> and that's what Chloe Zhao is. Known. The writer was a similar thing. She met this guy who was working in the rodeo and was going to do a piece on him. And then he got injured and mm-hmm. then continued to do it. And so she wrote a fictional story, but it's it's him. It's basically him and his journey. And when that happened, she said, oh, that's the story and used wow. non-actors as well for that. That was her second film that Francis saw. and <laughs> was like, oh. She knows wow. exactly what she's doing with this, and that's oh, sort yeah, of the, the genius of it, to yes. be a director, to write the script and drive the narrative, but at the same time, almost a documentarian, which is what's so enrapturing to people. It's beautiful. I mean, the the way that it, the, the most 
I kept thinking Cassavetes in the seventies over and over again, mm-hmm. like woman of uh, woman in, under the influence. Um, you know, really getting on the forefront of issues. The style almost dictating this documentary uh, aesthetic. Um, yeah, this is really exhilarating when when you realize, oh my god, this is not this is not a movie. This is I mean, <laughs> this yeah. is so much more than a, than just a a film. Yeah, um, because they are taking a character, the Francis McDormand firm character. I mean, they they took. Her gesture there was—I mean, it was truth. That that was a character that she that now she gets to adorn and walk through mm-hmm. this arc with these real people with their real stories now are are, are through this narrative. I mean, it's it's uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's beautiful, and that's why that's why. And when I said it never should let up in its tone because it's so real. Yeah, it uh, is. Why real. should it? Why you know? Yeah, it's a weird. It's an odd, odd mixture that that seems to work. And obviously, winning a bunch of awards, the only thing to win both the highest prize at the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. It's a hard thing to to convince people of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. To to we we talk about these things and we talk about movements and and history and present day. But it's hard to show people the history that we've lived through in this country, in particular, in the last twenty years, thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, what is really happening to us? And and so it's it's so hard to put your thumb on what's going on in the, when you're in the eye of the storm. What they've managed to do here, and it's so beautiful, is to pull the truth of the moment and and weave it into narrative. Uh, yeah. And so they are talking about the issue lay bare with the real people and the real story. And they had um, had Jessica as a consulting producer who wrote the book and lived life for three years along with these folks. And she had sent Chloe a bunch of research that wasn't in the book material on the city of Empire, you know, premise of the film, but is a profile in the book. And basically tons and tons of introductions with all the people that Jessica knew. But the script evolved with who they cast and who was going on because they're just going along on the road as well. Producers would arrive in advance to a place that they knew they wanted to check out or explore based on somebody that they had made contact with. And the producers would record videos on their iPhones of people, send them back to Chloe so she could see who they were going to cast how she could revise the script to fit these these folks. Oh, wow. It's such a fluid thing, oh, my God. which sounds chaotic and insane, but it also fits in with the context of the story. Yeah. So some of the some of the real life folks and where they fit in, Swanky, the one gal in the film, she had been on the road for a decade and I found a little interview with her, not really into the media or anything. So she didn't have too much to say. She was like, movies were not high on her list at all. <laughs> When it comes to this stuff, when when Chloe had approached her and she was like, I've never heard of Francis McDormand. I don't know any of this. She's like, I figured it'd be some little camcorder type homemade film. So she was like, sure, whatever. I'll do it. The one thing that didn't go with her that was an invented plot device is she's never had cancer. None of that as it goes okay. into the story. She was like, I am fiercely independent and never ask others to help me. So it was difficult to act like I needed help. She was like, that was the only 1% that was acting Interesting. from me, but the rest of it is me. And then she kind of has a positive sense on it, which you have to have in spades for this. But she was like, just because of this is how we're living doesn't mean we're suffering, going without, dirty, eating badly. And this is what she said. She said, for me, I am healthier now at 78 than I was at 40. I'm 60 pounds lighter, totally off all medications, never been happier or financially more secure. I'm just a lone old granny desert rat loving every day. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's beautiful. And so I mean, you why not putting? I mean, seriously, why not? Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm so I'm I'm lucky to to hear this story. <laughs> um, to find that much happiness in in wherever you are, I mean, that's all you can ask for, no matter the situation. So mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yeah. So there's all there's a whole range, and then Bob Wells is another guy, and he has more of like, oh, this is the next evolution of society in a way. He's real as well. He's got a YouTube channel called Cheap RV Living, posted like super entertaining. He posts yeah. videos almost every other day, essentially, about yeah. all different things and interviewing yeah. people. He's the one who started this gathering of folks called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, the largest gathering of nomads in the US. He said it was super surreal when they approached him because he's like, well, they say I'm going to be in a movie. We'll see about that. Like he doesn't, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. until he saw it. Man, actually on the screen. And he said it's mostly improvised, as we said. But when he was with Fran, they wanted him to memorize certain parts of a script as it applies to her story. He was like, that was the hardest thing. I can't memorize anything. I don't. He's like, I never got it right. They just had to use what I gave. (laughs) And he said, like I said, most of his scenes were improvised, including there's a speech at the end about his son. Oh my um, gosh. Which becomes very, very integral to the story as yes. I know it. Um, before the movie, he had said there were 20 people in the world that he had talked about this with. Like, oh man. Chloe, the director, didn't even know about it. And he said during one of their you know rehearsal sessions, he was like, I have this thing. Do you want me to talk about this? And she said, yeah. And so he said the, the movie was actually very healing as a gift wow. to kind of of his son's life and his life to share so that he was, uh, I mean, you know, I was asking the question the entire time, like, is this real? Are you an actor? No, you're not. I know, no, yeah. And, and getting to him and getting to what he delivers is, is like, oh my God, this is the real thing. This is a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and it's in the first time that he's ever, you know, I mean, he's told something yeah. the first uh, just to, to have that openness. Yeah. One, he said it's, like I said, it's a testament. He said, that's why a lot of us are out here recovering through a life of grief and loss. And that's sort of where he's saying, like, the van life, those people are not chasing any sort of healing from grief. That's not that journey. Yeah. If anything, he said, if it's young people, it's like it's an inoculation, whether they know it or not, from the grief to come, where they can maybe sense it or they're trying to preempt it or it's a whole different thing. He said when he saw the film, he was bored with it because he was like, this is just my life. <laughs> like all the details are just real life. Yeah. Going to the bathroom a million times. Like it's nothing new to me to see that on screen. Well, then, then that means they did it perfectly because that's, you know, like because that is the thing is like this is for this is for people who've forgotten that this happened. This is for people who forgot about the 2008 recession. This is for people who forgot about their friends, grandparents after their, you know, like this, there's a generation here kind of falling out. Mm -hmm. uh, And and where are they supposed to go when the dreams erode away? Yeah. They still, they're here. They're still people. So this this is the ever, the the eluding question wandering throughout this film is like, well, what now? Well, what now? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and with the, the diverse array of, reasons majority and this is maybe what the book does better i don't know how it does it in terms of the film but the economical yeah aspect of it is definitely the the primary driver for most people and that's what they follow the book primary source is linda may and that's who jessica follows the longest she's also in the film as well but she's the main profile going through mm-hmm. and one of the particular sections follows her involvement in this Amazon fulfillment, like we said, this seasonal thing where they purposefully target RVers, campers that are living this nomadic lifestyle. 
and in terms of making it into the film, Francis McDormand was the one who sent a letter to some vice president of something as it relates to Amazon. So they knew exactly what they were doing and they went right in there. Yeah. And Huge filmed. question for me because the Amazon is not presented as like a savior or like a beautiful thing. It's it's a very <laughs> right. cold, faceless machine yeah. that she is in. A very a very different sterile environment from the desert. Uh, but it's not present. It's like this. It, it is uh, there to to show how American uh, job culture has transformed. Yeah, Walmart has is not the leader anymore. Uh, these these sixty five year old Americans that are looking for you know money to make ends meet, they're not signing up to go to you know Target and Walmart anymore. It's these types of things. Yeah, and it it shifted, and it's not pretty. And I'm and I was pretty shocked to see Francis McDormand walking around uh, an Amazon fulfillment warehouse. Yeah, as if Amazon wouldn't know that they're not there to paint them in the best light. No, they knew, and I think presented as yeah. a, as a faceless monster. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I think that what, from my understanding, what Chloe Zhao and Francis were talking about with presenting all aspects of it, it's like the other things they're doing. It's it's a piece of this scattered work, scraping things together lifestyle. Because her working as a as a fry cook is equally as diminishing of a of a station, or the at least in the book, these gals who have to work cleaning up this campground for rowdy yeah. young kids. It's like. They're all part and parcel of the same thing, offering minimum wage for backbreaking work when you're over 70 years old. And 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 I think in terms of the messaging of the book in with the film, it's like they, they had said there's almost an unspoken rule because politics doesn't hardly come up at all with these folks or in this sphere. It's almost like they have a sort of a post-political because of the age like they've yeah. lost faith in any yeah. system. They're outside of it all. And especially if you're living this nomadic lifestyle. This is the result. It's yeah. over. This is in game. This is yeah. like, this is the result. There is no uh, talk about what we need to change. You know, these, <laughs> right. this is it. This yeah, is it. You, you work and then either you die or you commit suicide, which some folks also have done in and, this. And there's no reason to bring it up directly in the film. They they broach it uh, momentarily towards the towards the back half where she is at uh, her sister's house and yeah, talking yeah. about just different paths and they have a different uh, spattering of social group there and they all have a bit of a different take on it. And it's so interesting to hear these different takes of people, like we were saying, people who don't, who are not bored, but they don't under, they don't even know this exists. So there's one guy who doesn't yeah. understand it at all. It's like, Oh, you just chose this. Well, I don't know if I chose it, Ned. Uh, and then yeah. her sister is like, well, I think they're like, they're, they're part of this, this on the forefront of this beautiful, like the pioneers, like this new American tradition. It's like, well, that's a very lofty uh, elitist thing to say to somebody who's been kind of cornered into living it right now. Yeah. And you're talking about their life right now. And some folks, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, and these conversations are happening. This is what's happening all over the country. This is not, we're finally just bringing it into cinema so that we can say it to everyone, oh, we can loudly talk about this now yeah. um, because it is happening. There is a hollowing out of the middle class. Yeah. Uh, and, and where are these people supposed to go? And how easy it is to look down or cast dispersions or malign them in one way or the other when the truth is, is everybody is so nuanced and different. There's no thumb on the scale here for anybody. Yeah. The fact is, these people are living out of, uh, out of vans. These people have, this is what they had to turn to when everything else left. Yeah. And I, I had a bit of a personal connection or approach to it. I'm not elderly and I'm not 
pushed into that position. But I did have my whole life up till now, thus far, very recently, has been traveling, doing seasonal work, saving all up, over living, the world. Yeah, all over the world, <laughs> living, living out. I had a, a backpack and a duffel bag as all of my possessions for the longest time. And How then long in, were you in Australia? Almost a year. Yeah. How long were you in Alaska? It was four months. Wow. Yeah, and so I've. I've in in understanding this and seeing it, there was a time as well where I was I was in between two jobs. I didn't have a job, and I took yeah. a extended journey where I was living out of my car for two and a half, almost three months. Yeah, and I, it, it's like I said, can't compare at all. Very different to this, but saw a lot of the same things. If you if you haven't, you know, if you're reading or just watching a movie, even in that, like a lot of the situations become very very pressing and immediate. If you're like, what are, where am I going today? Where am I going to stay? Where is it legal to park my car and sleep? Yeah. You know, where, where can I dispose of my trash? Where can I brush my teeth? Any, and, and it was interesting too, because in the book and some other things they bring up, like I said, this apolitical kind of situation where you do feel outside of it all. It's like I was more accustomed to going into a love's truck stop because I'm like, oh, that's a safe place. There's lots of lights. Right. Nobody's going to bother me. And that was the other thing too, where they're talking about like a question that was asked of Jessica is like, why are they all, why are most of these people white? Like there's mm. hardly any diversity when it comes to race in this group. That's and she's saying there maybe is a two factor, like the camping sort of mentality attracts a white audience. But the, the thing that I was made very aware of in my traveling is like living in a vehicle is a very dangerous gambit for racial profiling. Like I got stopped by tons of people or yeah. knocked on the windows and being like, hey, you can't be here. It's like, I can't even imagine oh my gosh. that. Yeah. It's Absolutely. like, you wouldn't even yep. go. So yep. then you wonder, it's like, 100%. where are all those folks who can't even make this decision, however difficult yeah, it, it right, would be? It, look at that, at that mobility. So just social mobility, even in that, it's like, oh, we not we didn't answer any question here, but <laughs> right. look, well, why are they all white? Oh, that definitely is an idea. Maybe they're they're living in a different game right there. Like that's an example of exactly the how hard it is to be able to put your thumb on like, no, this is what we're talking about. No, they they can't they can't do that because yeah. it's fat. This so is that's a whole other a whole other aspect of it. Like I said, I would I would never have even recognized if I hadn't been out there myself, yeah. sleeping in the in the. <laughs> in the back and all that. Um, yeah. It, it, the last bit I wanted to get to with this is there is a parallel literarily and filmically that this is being drawn to, which I'm always interested in. And I know you Ooh, are as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. It is being dubbed the modern grapes of wrath. Do you know anything about oh. grapes of wrath? Oh, based on is it a book, a movie. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, this is this How is you got me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This is illiterate. My name is <laughs> Well, here we go. 1936 is when house trailers go into mass production for the first time. There was a quote from the New York Times that said, We are rapidly becoming a nation on wheels. And this oh, is where yeah. we get the mobile home, the inexpensive units yes. towed by a trailer, but then they typically stay there. Has nothing to do with Grapes of Wrath except to say that that is where the nation is kind of heading with, oh, there's a new, similar to this where you're saying it's like, oh, there's a new transiency, there's a new nomadic lifestyle. But this was most notable for the Dust Bowl refugees. Mm, mm-hmm, and this is mm-hmm. what Grapes of Wrath is about. It's about this family, the Jodes, who are migrant workers who are, have nothing in Oklahoma and they're on their way to California. Right. And Steinbeck, 
similar to Jessica, was a journalist for the San Francisco News, and he was covering these migrant labor camps in California. He had a seven-article series on these Dust Bowl refugees and then wrote this book. It's all fiction. Oh wow! Um, but it's based on a lot. Similarly, a lot of the yeah. situations that he had seen and his his compatriots had seen covering this, and this became a novel in '39. Won the Pulitzer Prize, potentially won him the Nobel Prize. Wow! And then was immediately adapted into a film by John Ford in 1940, which won the Academy Award for Best right. Director, Best Supporting Actress, and potentially created some sort of real life action because Eleanor Roosevelt read it, went down to see these migrant labor camps, spurred congressional hearings about labor law and wage regulations and things moving on into the latter half of the century. So who knows if this is going to be something of a similar caliber, of a similar influence. Joe Biden to go visit one of these RV parks. Yeah, it is, the old days. it is something like you're talking about the the status of work and age and age discrimination or, uh, you know, what is happening to people that are 65 and older that don't have a family and don't have anything Absolutely. to support them. That's a lot Absolutely. of people in the U.S. Absolutely. And, and the, the reverberation that, 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 that it happened with Grace of Wrath, um, that it's happening again, that almost one for one. Yeah. Uh, another recession slash depression, another Absolutely. It's group all, of people. It's, yeah. it, all of it. It's, it's like, you know, the last 70 years didn't work. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah, different thing. A journalist <laughs> making a fictional account that then gets traction. Yeah. I'm so happy that it won this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so happy that we're doing it now because I don't know that I would have watched the film. I don't I didn't know anything about it really. Yeah. I had no idea it was it was so issue based. Like I really thought it was oh it's a character piece, you know, and it being a transient or very cool. No clue yeah. that it's it's hybrid documentary. I mean, what else are you supposed to call this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, it's the truth. I'm so thankful that that, that it actually did win and that we're sitting here talking about it now because otherwise we probably wouldn't have. Man, super interesting. All right, well, (laughs) thank you, Taylor. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Let us know what you're watching, reading. Um, So we will catch you next week.